0: Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders Podcast, where we chat all things leadership and personal development related, absolutely authentically and unscripted. On this podcast, my guests and I are going to introduce you to ideas and concepts that show how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage and motivate you on your journey to becoming a legendary leader yourself with more impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I am the host of this show And today, as always, we are talking to an amazing guest, a female leader, Linda Letimer. And I can't wait to really introduce the show to you today. She's a speaker, an author, attorney, social entrepreneur, and so, so, so much more. She's, for me, really an ambassador for women leadership. And we are going to talk about this topic quite a bit today, in particular, how women can create a bigger impact in organizations, but also outside of organizations. Or what does women leadership actually look like nowadays, right? You see a lot of statistics online that describe what are the differences between female and male leadership and why are more women in top leadership roles actually needed. But today we make it much more tangible. What are the qualities of those women? What gets in our ways as well in terms of really building our Leadership presence, how we can use our qualities to influence others in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming, really. We are also going to talk about the solutionaries approach. So Linda wrote a book that's called Solutionaries: You Are the Answer. And we' are going to talk about what does that actually mean? One of her big, quotes is that it's important to fill the heart accounts as much as the bank accounts, in particular in nowadays organizations. Having a real social impact is super important. Acting with higher purpose is important and shouldn't only be a phrase. It's really important that we make it happen. But How are we going to put it into practice, right? That is the big, big question we are, amongst other things, going to focus on. Linda is also going to talk a little bit more about her journey, that it has been absolutely incredible. She has, for example, been one of six women in the law business school. She has been an only woman in the C-suite, an only woman in criminal persecution, and a single mother as well. So we're going to talk about what challenges she experienced through those situations and experiences, but also what she has learned and gained from it, but also where she still sees potential for learning and development nowadays. So these are just a few topics that I want to introduce to you. Much more to come now in the episode. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. As always, do let us know what you think about the show, what you would like to hear a little bit more of, maybe less of, and do leave us a review on iTunes. That would be so wonderful. But first of all, enjoy the show, speak to you in a bit. A big, big welcome to today's guest, Linda. I'm so excited to have you here and I already warmed the audience up for you because you are such a multi-talent with such an amazing passion and I can't wait for you to share this passion with the listeners today. So big hello to you.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. It's always fun to, to meet new people. We've had a chance to chat a little bit and that's been great as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as a social inter- entrepreneur, I could well imagine that you want to share your message, your story, the impact you're trying to make with more and more people. And this is such a fantastic tool to do so. And I'm sure you will do a lot of sharing in particular when it comes to your insights, expertise, and passion with the guys today. So yes, very excited on my end Right here. Let's, let's do it. Let's, go. let's do it. You know, one thing that really, really intrigued me about you was your story and still is your story. You haven't always been a social entrepreneur as such. You have a background in corporate, in legal in particular, and you have had quite a journey as a woman in leadership roles and non-leadership roles as well. So I think it would be really fantastic to actually start with your story that got you where you are right now, highlighting in particular your journey as a woman. Yeah, you know, I am a firm believer that all of us
2: have a story and and it takes a lot of looking back. Sometimes we're so busy peering into the future that we don't take the time to look back Mm. and really see the things that have impacted us and made us who we are today in terms of how of how we lead or how we run our families. And I don't not sure that I actually really took a look backwards either until I was about 50. I was busy, busy, busy with life. You know, yeah. I, I we moved to Peru when I was five. My dad was an international business. And you know, at that time in particular, because I'm in my 60s now, you know it was an extremely poor country, and, and a lot of countries in Latin America are. And I'd never seen poverty. I was five. I was in kindergarten. But I distinctly remember like a little boy coming up and putting his hand out to me. And, you know, they were hungry. But I, don't, I didn't have any sense of hunger. I didn't have any sense of poverty. I wasn't really sure why this little boy, I mean, a very dirty, hungry little boy had come up to me. Children, I think, speak with their eyes. I didn't need to know Spanish at the moment. I just knew that he needed something from me, but I wasn't sure what. And that impression of poverty at that point in my life came back to me full sector later on in my 50s. As I went on on my journey at five, I went to five high schools in four years. I had to deal with, you know, kids that aren't always that friendly to the new kids. So I was standing on my own. Um, My father was very intent that I go to business school, though I wanted to be a social worker, because that had left an impression on me. I think, you know, seeing that kind of poverty that I wanted to help people, I knew I wanted to help people. But he was very intent on me going to going to business school. In fact, he had me go down the street and meet Mrs. Miller when I was 16 to talk about social welfare and that kind of work. And When I came back, I didn't want to do it anymore. So I think they were in cahoots together, you know, that he was going to get me on to business school, right? Something I could, something I could take care of myself. Yeah. I went on to business school. I did very well. There weren't that many women in, in the business school. I majored in finance and accounting. And then I thought I wanted to go to something else. And he kind of pushed me towards law school. There's only six women in my law school class mm. at the time, and today the numbers are about 50 50, but at the time it wasn't. And the guys were all saying things like, gee, you're NRCs, that kind of stuff. Mm. I don't think I ever really felt that I was being harassed or anything like that. I just was so busy moving forward down my path that I wasn't thinking about it, you know. I went on to become a, a assistant district attorney, later a federal prosecutor, running the white collar crime section in. in the, Houston at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I was the only woman in the criminal division. Also, it still hadn't dawned on me that I was the only. I kept going along doing the only, the only, the only, or a slight few things. And I was a single mother for for a number of years with two girls and finally got them out the door. They went on to college. They graduated from college. They were doing great things. And I ended up starting a women's networking group quite by accident in San Diego, where I was living at the moment. I invited four girlfriends to play golf. None of us even really knew how to play golf. And 25 wanted to come, and it kept growing to 60 and 90. And before I knew it, uh, it was a women's organization that started out as a networking organization. And, you know, I did have my law degree, my business degree, and I was bringing in speakers and stuff like that. You know, one day I ended up speaking with a woman who was a, a nun in San Antonio, and she had a women's group. She was doing microfinance projects in Tanzania and Zambia. And she reached out to me and wondered if my organization might want to be a global business partner, where our businesswomen in the United States could help their women in Africa. And so that put me on a whole other trajectory where we started funding these women. Our, Our members would fund, and I got deeply entrenched in the world of microfinance, helping primarily women that take out those kinds of loans, helping them get small loans for agriculture other things they might need. I would take our women over to Africa. I would take our women over to, to these places to meet their global business partners. And I think at that point in my early 50s, I realized that I was, had come face to face with the mothers of those very children that I had seen as a child in Peru. I mean, maybe not the exact mothers, but it was the same socioeconomic circumstance. No running water, barely a roof over their heads, no food, no education, everything else. Only this time I had the tools to help them. This time I had a business degree. This time I had a law degree. This time I had been a C-suite. I'd been general counsel of three multinationals at that point. This time I had so many tools that I had never seen were in my toolbox that I could actually go and help these women in a social service role. And by that, I don't mean charity. I just mean helping people and the word social. And that was the beginning of a whole new trajectory for me. But it was the story of my life. It was everything I had been gathering in terms of experiences and tools since I was the age five. Uh, and that's the work I do today with many of my clients.
1: You mentioned quite a few things I am very, very curious about because I could hear about attitudes and behaviors that I see and hear a lot in women in particular. One of them was that you were the only woman in the law school at this point of time, for example, the only criminal prosecutor, for example. And you mentioned it like, oh yeah, by the way, that was the case. And I do wonder when you look back now and you reflect upon those times, How do you think about those times? What were your challenges? What are you particularly proud of when you now think about being the only woman or one out of six women at school, for example? That would be interesting to hear. I think we were at such a different
2: time back then as a boomer, right? We were really forging the trail. And I'm not even sure that we knew that we were forging the trail. We were busy just trying to get a seat at the table. I was very lucky that my father, I had a father who had two girls, no no sons, and he was, honestly, I received mixed messages because on the one hand, he wanted me to get all these degrees in case my husband died, right? It wasn't so much so that I could have a fabulous career, but that he wanted to take care of me, so honestly that, that did kind of mess with me for a while, because I was always a little more subservient in my marriage, just because in case my husband died, but then I would do really well at the office, and then I would come home and I would sort of put on a different hat mm. as a wife, mm. whereas it seems the young women today, because they realize they can do that, and we do have fifty percent you know in our law school classes and more women on our. Not enough women in our C-suites, and stuff like that, yes. or boards, right. But it's a, it's a different mentality. I mean, we were trying to wear suits with little bows. I mean, we couldn't wear a skirt into the courtroom at the, I mean, pants into the courtroom. We could only wear a skirt. I don't think that I personally walked around with the chip on my shoulder. There were people that did. You heard all the old bra burning stories. I was just focused. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked the job, I liked the work, and I wanted mm-hmm. to move forward. But it was a different time. Yeah back then. And, and my girls are in their 30s. And I think a lot of young women today don't actually realize how much work, work it took to forge
1: that path. Yeah, I, I think so. And still, what I also realize is that a lot of women still don't quite understand how to really use this amazing advantage right now, this liberation mm. around us, at least in the modern Western countries, to be able to that sounds so generalistic, but to have it all, to have choices. Um, yes, I think choices is probably a better, a better way, to, yeah. choices and opportunities.
2: There are so many out there right now, and I do a lot of talks, not many keynotes these days with what's going on on the planet, but do a lot, a, a lot of talks and write a lot of articles about this because we need to jump on board right now because we bring something else to the table, right, that is sorely needed when we go back and we look at our life experiences and we try and learn what we got out of them, they're generally value-based. So if, for example, you were never afforded to um, a good education, education will be one of your top values, right? If people never gave you a chance to speak, having your voice will be a very prominent value to you. So, So this work of going back and looking at what's important to you from a values perspective, it is part of your DNA, your other DNA, not the physical DNA that determines your hair color and your eye color, but something I call defining your natural aptitude, which is what do I bring to the table as a human being based on my life experiences? Well, women bring amazing things to the table that we need right now. We bring a sense of compassion. We've taught our kids teamwork and how, and integrity. These are all the values that we as mothers teach our children you know, to do, we're tasked with that. Well, our businesses need those same things right now and they're shifting. Whereas before all of our businesses were very, very focused on the bottom line. Now we're having BlackRock Financial come in and all these others saying, no, we're interested in the stakeholders. They actually have a primacy above our shareholders and our stakeholders, our employees, our investors, uh, any human being, our community, that is dealing with the companies. So it's a perfect time to get on public board positions and to step into some of these C-suite roles because what we bring is different than what the men bring. Absolutely. And and now, finally, corporate America and corporations around the world are saying,
1: yes, we need those. That's what we need. More and more. Absolutely. Now is the time to jump on board and to say, okay, how can we support this movement. Coming back to your story, another thing you mentioned was your golf networking event. And again, it almost felt like slightly brushing over. I don't know. First we started with 20, then 30, then 60. Ah, oh, it's nothing. That's how it sounded to me. So just, you were very humble about it. There must have been something about you that attracted more and more women to join. So what is it that you bring to the table and how do you help other women in particular? Yeah, you know, it's really crazy. All of my girlfriends
2: call them Linda moments. I have these (laughs) things happen a lot. In that particular case, I had taken a year out of the corporate scene to do some consulting. My youngest daughter was her last year in high school and I wanted to spend time with her. And so... I had a little more bandwidth to do something like gather people up for this golf game. And it was just a little par three. I mean, swear to God, it was just, you know, four of us. And then suddenly Mary wanted to come and Susie wanted to come. And because I like to have dinner parties, I wouldn't let anybody come unless they gave me their bio, <laughs> like a one paragraph bio, because I wanted to match people in the carts who would have something in common and f- enjoy themselves. Kind of like when you do have a dinner party, you seat people next to each other that you think will enjoy each other. I, I love to entertain and I love for people to have a good time. And it just kept growing and it was going to be a one-time thing. And now we were up to 25 women. It was going to be lunch and everyone was going to bring a little white elephant. This thing had turned into more than like, let's go grab some golf clubs Well, they had a blast they were shocked they were saying things like oh my god you're not going to believe who was sitting in my golf cart next to me well of course i believed i had seen their their yeah. one paragraph bios i had seen they had been roommates 20 years ago or something right so that kind of became a hallmark of this was my deep interest in, in making sure that people were happy, could really get something out of this. So they had so much fun. They wanted to do it again. And I, about two months later, I thought, well, we'll try it again. But this time, we'll do it at a restaurant. And a, one of my clients had a restaurant. I said, look, we'll move people around in between the networking so they can get to know each other. Same thing. No one could come unless they gave this one paragraph bio. I had them seated at the table so they could have conversation. There were 65 women. I didn't even know some of the ones that wanted to come to that one, right? I was just taking checks. Who uses checks anymore? I, I was just taking checks. I wasn't trying to, it was never going to be more than a one-time thing. But now they were saying things like, well, we could build you a little website. I mean, that wasn't even in my brain. But the next time I did it, two months later, another golf event, we didn't call them tournaments because no one really knew what we did, <laughs> the event, 95 women registered to come. I had all their bios. What I did not know that I was doing was building a database was building a community, because that's not the way it started. And the name, Women's Global Network, which was the ultimate name, the only reason it became WGN was that first day when the 25 women showed. The lady at the club stuck a piece of paper and put Women's Golf Network out there because she wanted all women to know where they went. Well, then I was like, well, what do you want to call it? Women's Global Network. And I was like, well, we're not global. We're sitting in my backyard in San Diego. Well, we like that fine. Well, what I also didn't understand, many of the things that this is all part of the looking back process, was that you become your name, whatever you label yourself, you could label yourself, ter- and women tend to do this, we get down on ourselves, you label your that, you become that, you label yourself something else, you become that. Well, we call this Women's Global Network. And inside of a year, it was in 10 cities and six countries. Mm. And it was all about women coming together and supporting each other. Yeah. Every U.S. city, because I'd have people say, well, we're moving to Dallas. We'd like to start a branch. Great. We're moving to San Francisco. We're Okay, fine. By now, we had big websites. By now, we had credit card capability. I knew how to do all this. I was a lawyer. I just hadn't started out looking to create yeah. a business. But by now, every U.S. city was connected to a sister city and an NGO in a foreign country. So now we were connected to Tanzania, Zambia, Ghana, Mexico, Honduras, and Peru. Wow supporting women in those countries with loans. So you know, I think the thing that all of us need to remember is many opportunities come our way, but you have to say yes. And sometimes you don't even know why you're saying yes. You just know that you're supposed to say yes and, and just to some extent, see what the universe is going to bring your way. And that has happened to me countless times, countless times. I show up, I say yes, Uh, when circumstances, you know, do start happening now, I go, okay, what are you trying to tell me? Right? And then I move forward. So that's, that's what happened with Women's Global Network. (laughs) It ended up being a tremendous amount of work, as you can imagine, because Mm. it ended up being a pretty large website that where every uh, woman overseas had her picture next to her global business partner and her story, whether it was, you know, having money for a cow or trying to make tea over there. I mean, and, you know, the first time I took our women over there, we didn't speak Swahili. We just met with all of our women. And when we went to go um, meet this with these lovely women in Bukova, they had, I mean, like I say, seriously, most of them didn't have, you know, running water, much of anything, right? But they had brought all their beautiful blankets out and they had laid them all out in the fields for us. And they had, um, we could hear them singing because, to us when we started approaching mama 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 and we came up and we sat and we had even now i kind of get the chills we sat now and we had tea with these ladies they poured us tea and little things and we although we couldn't speak the language we could point to their children and we could somehow communicate and they knew they had a partner all the way across the world that would be there for them so you know we have the capacity to bring us together
1: if we will just show up yeah and that is this huge force Of women being on the same page and having a very similar, if not even the same purpose. Yes. Well, and it can't just be, unfortunately, what I see and
2: it just annoys the crud out of me. I'm such a doer that what I really hate is when people think that their participation is doing a like button on Facebook or just saying, I agree with this. No, if you're serious about it, do something. Yeah. Like, even if you're driving people to vote, or you are doing something, let's quit chatting about it and start doing something about it. And, you know, one of the things I'm really pushing right now here in in the United States is to get women on boards, because many of our states right now are requiring that 50% of their board be women by law. So California is one of those states, Washington, I mean, I did a an article the other day about this. There's a lot of places that we can go get on boards and they're very short on talent. Not that the talent's not out there. There's plenty of women that are qualified, but they haven't stopped to think, like, can I really apply for a public board? Do I have the skills? Well, yes, because they're starting to look for some of the softer qualities. Yeah. You know, Our corporations are looking for culture now. We're looking for that caregiving aspect Granted, with this pandemic, everyone's also extremely focused on the bottom line. But it hasn't shut down the fact that culture is hugely important right now. And we women bring that. So if you want to participate, quit talking about it, please, and go apply, you know, for one of those positions. Exactly. With confidence. You know, we just need to get out and do it. I mean, I have masterminds with women now. They go through my classes and, and we meet on Zoom but it's still the same camaraderie. I try and keep it to eight to 10. And I make sure that they all know each other before we start. And they have to come. They do come together and they, and they share and they leave with the ability to start a business or at least know how they can participate. When I look back now, I'm not doing anything different than I was doing at that golf game or any way that I've managed my own personal life. You know, I am bringing them in so they can be heard and become part of these groups. Because that's what we need, we need, we need. We all need cheerleaders. We just do, we need cheerleaders and we need people to say, you can do it. So I see that as my role, really. I, I, at one point I finally reached, honestly, the point where I realized that the only impact Linda Lattimore could really make was to train the trainer. There was only so many poor women that I could get money to in terms of loans. There was only so much work I could do almost like the starfish story, one at a time, it wouldn't really create the the impact. So if I really wanted to create impact in my last trimester here, then for me, it's to train the people who are then going to go do the work, and then triple and quadruple that impact out there. So that's pretty much what I'm devoting my time to
1: is training the people to get out and do the work that needs to be done. And and tell us a little bit more about how you do it. Before we started recording, we were talking about a mastermind that you're going to run today, for example. So what is it you focus on with these women during your mastermind, for example, and tell us a bit more about your day-to-day work and what it looks like to scale the impact in the way you've just explained it. You know, it's kind of starts with another Linda moment. I came over, I was a
2: This last go around, I was living in Houston as general counsel of a company there, and I came over to Austin to be closer to family. And I was, had decided I would work on a book to help companies create social, corporate social responsibility, social impact programs so that they could also make sure that they were working in integrity and giving out to the world. And I was working on that book when suddenly I started getting phone calls from, I mean, I hate to say clueless people, but they really, they kind of were, you know, they were being referred to me by other people saying they were calling me saying we don't want to do what we're doing Mm -hmm. and mary said i should come talk to you I, i suppose because i was a business lawyer and i also have a nonprofit that does the microfinance so i am a social entrepreneur myself so we want to do something that makes our heart feel good but we need to make money i mean so we have to make money but we need to have purpose in our life we need and we don't even know where to begin and i got four phone calls in three days and so I literally closed the computer and did one of those okay what are you telling me why am i getting all these phone calls from all these strangers you know and so i gathered them up once again i gathered them up it turned out it was primarily women it was all women in that first one. there was eight or ten women and i said i think i can help you you know figure out what it is you want to do and so i brought them all in we would sit at my dining room table I would give lots of assignments to go work on to really understand what we were talking about before, the values that they brought to the table, but not only the skill set and values that they brought to the table based on their life experiences, but what was it out there in terms of social anything that touched their hearts and you know we almost did vision boards like please go just look in the newspapers. Look, if you find anything that bothers you or interests you, I'm not going to ask you what your passion is because it's such a big, big word that it's very scary. I mean, heck, what if you didn't find your passion? Do you feel like your life had been a waste? We have many passions. So just go find the things that interest you and bother you. Bring cut pictures out so it's visual and bring them back to the table so we can all discuss. So now they knew what they brought to the table. They kind of knew what interested them. So I said, please go out and look for the change makers out there that are working on the very issue that you wish was resolved and no longer existed. Whether it's global poverty, which is my thing, or it's a water issue, or it could be anything—cyberbullying, whatever touches you. So they went out and they would find the community of people that were working on that issue. So now they knew they had a tribe that was interested in the same. So how do we match up the values of that organization and yours? You have a better chance for success when they match. Now you know where you can go work. Well, they, they were all coming out of here going, Oh, my God, I know what I want to, I know what I want to do. I I know what will bring me joy. Uh, Some of them said, I can't find anyone who's doing what I want to do. So I think I need to start a business myself to go do it. Mm, Right. So by the time I'd gotten through that first thing, I had accidentally written a book. Accidentally. You're right. I totally, I mean, because I was giving them all these assignments, Right and they were giving me back, and I was putting it, and I realized, oh my gosh, I've written this book, and I, I named it Solutionaries. Mm-hmm. You were the answer, because we are all responsible for solutions in the yeah. world, and it had number one on Amazon first day out, so, Great. you know, Great. which told me that there were a lot of people that needed, just needed the support, and finding something that would bring them joy, that they could also make money at, so I'm not talking about just going down and volunteering at a charity, but finding work that you know you're giving back, so Then I had to sit down and go, okay, with this group of people that need a business, I created the second set. It's not in a book. It's in an online class called Ready to Launch. And it's for people who want to create a social entrepreneurship or social impact business, or at least bring some kind of social impact into a business they already have in place, right? And that is a 28-day boot camp. I mean, it's really intense. It's everything that you would need in a business plan from your vision, your mission, all the way down to your financial forecasting to writing marketing copy to pricing analysis, everything. So that, that's a pretty robust 28 day intensive. That one, I'm starting a new set of those tonight uh, with a group that I'm very excited about. And it's a group of women vets who have the heart to serve. They have many great ideas that they want to implement. Some of them are looking at helping women veterans in the homeless space others are just not necessarily a social impact like the homeless veterans um one's a beauty business but they have ideas they want to incorporate in that will help other people so i i mean i love that i will work with them on uh, zoom calls and personal coaching calls and same deal they'll be going through online assignments so i do that with the illuminate class what the hell do you want to do use my language (laughs) what do you want to do with your life oh you now you know what you want to do Okay, now let's go do it. Because I'm all about quit talking, let's do it. All about the action. Yes, it's all about the action. I mean, what
1: all, what other choice do we have right now? The world's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> it it is a mess. We 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 have a choice again. We can sit down, observe and just see what's going to happen and who's going to sort it out, or we take charge. And even if we take charge for some tiny tiny steps, that will help, you know, move us forward, that will help other people. That's already brilliant. But I think sometimes we need to take the overwhelm away, which makes us feel paralyzed, which makes us feel like we need to wait for someone to sort it out, instead of just saying, what is it I actually can do? So let's do it. And that
2: really is the illuminate class. That's the solutionaries book for me, because there were so many people that were just stuck on, it was like a deer in the headlight, you know, they just Because it's a moving train coming at you. I mean, I personally think this is one of the greatest times our planet will ever have. It's like birthing pains, though, right now. It's miserable out there right now, right? But we're going to come out of this as kinder, more compassionate, more self aware human beings in terms of what we're doing to our planet, our living space, and those people around us. And so, if we can take a 360 bird's eye view, if we can get up here and look down, so many benefits have come out of this already. I mean, we're going to be faster to market with with cures, with other kinds of stuff. We're going to open our eyes up to what's going on environmentally. We're going to retrench the way our kids are learning at school. I mean, there's a lot of stuff whether it's been me too movements the last few years or black lives matter, we're realizing that we need to, you know, wake up. And it can never go back to the way it was. So, What's your piece to the jigsaw puzzle? Every single one of us has a piece to this huge jigsaw puzzle. And when we all start putting our pieces in, then the picture's complete. But that's what we're shuffling with. We're just uneasy trying to figure out our piece right now. But we each have one. And it's super important we figure it out.
1: Yeah. Super important. And you mentioned a few times that businesses approach you, entrepreneurs approach you to say, okay, how can we bring in Values, purpose, for example, and the social side of entrepreneurial spirit, I call it. Now, from my perspective, and I'm sure you agree, it's still important that we focus on the bottom line as well because there are a lot of businesses who are no charities where, and even they need to focus to a large extent on the bottom line. But at the same time, other values, other behaviors become more and more important. And when you Uh, wrote about your book, Solutionaries, I was really touched by it's time to fill the heart accounts as well as the bank accounts. So what difference will it make to organizations that will focus more on the ethical side, that will focus more on those personal values and really bring the purpose to life as well?
2: You know, it's it's an interesting thing because, I mean, the truth of the matter is if you don't make money, you can't do good in the world. Yeah, exactly. So you have to make money. It's just that what's happening is like Larry Fink said at BlackRock, the primacy, the importance and priority level is not as obvious as before. So up until I would say the last few years, corporations only focus could be the bottom line. And, and if they in fact there were quite a lot of shareholders out there for companies that were trying to do some more community work and more social efforts. And so what happened, there was a group called B Lab. That began to create a certification process for B Corps and it was kind of like a good housekeeping seal of approval. You know, I mean, they're still doing it, right? It's a, it's a big organization, and you could go and you could show that you met all these different metrics that you were a conscious business. So you would take an assessment and you would say, These are the things you're doing for your employees. And this is what you're doing environment. It's a really stiff assessment. And, and then you would post that on their site to show I am a company that is socially conscious and I care about the planet and my employees and my investors and everything else, compliance issues and everything else. Well, they began, it was very interesting. This group began to sort of push more of an advocacy role. And they, the first state to actually create a new corporate entity uh, was Maryland and they create a benefits corporation. So now what happened was whereas you could elect S Corp or C Corp before, now you could elect a like a B Corp, a benefits corporation status, which means that you could include in your articles of incorporation that you also had a commitment to a social issue that affected the public. Yeah. Not only were you selling coffee mugs, you could be doing something else that would serve. So that Pretty much helped them get rid of things like shareholder lawsuits so that now corporations could step up and go, Oh, I get to have a higher purpose as well as make money on the bottom line. I actually get to care. Well, almost 35 states have now passed that law, including Delaware, which is pretty much the bellwether of all corporate laws in the United States. California was passed out pretty quick. And you're beginning to, even some of the public companies like Unilever have subsidiaries, Ben & Jerry's, that are benefits corporations and and stuff like that too. So uh, companies in South America, it is not just exclusive to the United States. The certification process with B-Lab, anyone in the world can do that. Um, This other state stuff that I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about in the United States. That's allowed these corporations to now shift their ability to service in the social sector, because the nonprofits, they just can't solve every problem in the world. And for a while, they were anointed the groups that were supposed to solve all the social stuff. Mm. Well, they can't do it. They don't have the money, and quite frankly, they don't have the expertise on many levels, right? The government, we won't even go there because we can see that's not, they can't step in and do a heck of a lot either. So it leaves the civilian sector with the corporations to do it. Well, now our consumers are saying, I'm not gonna buy from you. They're using their buying power and they're choosing two companies. If one of them shows up with a higher purpose, if they have the same quality of product and pretty much the same pricing, they're gonna, the consumers are gonna shop from the ones, that's how they're spending their dollars, they're gonna shop from the one that's doing better. You can look in our, at our public companies and the ones that have social purpose are always doing better than the ones that don't because the market is going that way. Investors are starting to say, we have impact investors saying, I want to invest my dollars in companies that meet my criteria. So someone may say, I don't want to invest my dollars in, in a company that's doing cigarettes. I want to invest my dollars in another way. So the investors are also being very discriminatory. So it is possible now, we are all set up for our companies to step into a purpose-driven role. It's all been set up for us, from the government sector allowing benefits corporations to consumers saying you're doing it, to impact investors, everything out there is pointing this direction right now.
1: And, and where's the difference here, or the core difference to corporate social responsibility? Well, you know, I think corporate
2: social responsibility was more externally focused, and you honestly, they're not even using those words too much anymore. We, turn, we hear more of social impact programs. Mm-hmm. The corporate social responsibility was more, I'm gonna go write a check Yeah. for um, you know, a nonprofit out there or a cause, and it was just a check. But pretty soon, the consumers started saying, we wanna see you walk the talk. We wanna know that you're treating your employees nice, that you're giving them benefits. We don't wanna see that you wrote a check to Habitat for Humanity. We wanna see you guys out there with hard hat on, nailing in the nails maybe at, Habit, you know, at Habitat, if you're taking your employees over. Are you walking the talk? Yes. So now really what we, we look at is social impact and social accountability programs more than that old corporate social bill. Is it's focused
1: internally as it is externally? Fantastic, thank you. I do have a very, very important question for you. You started talking about the female qualities already that are so, so needed nowadays. When you look into this new work world and the impact that we can make onto our wider environment in the world, what role do women leaders play here? What opportunities can we really grasp to help those bigger causes?
2: Well, like I said before, I think it's really important right now from a corporate standpoint, to start trying to get on different boards. And I mean, but there's plenty of boards for nonprofits, if you really, you know, there's just a lot of board positions that we can bring that to. I'll be honest with you, in terms of our funding roles within our companies, it's still a push. We're not over it. We don't necessarily have equality of pay. Although I think, you know, we're talking about gender parity and equality of pay and everything else. It is a topic that's hot right now but it's not all settled out it's not a done deal yeah right and so we need us all to come together and continue to advocate for that right not just just expect it or not expect it we have to advocate for it i mean we're in the gray on this right now and i don't mean advocate on like i said on facebook or social media i mean actually join organizations that are that are advocating right And if you're inside of a company, make sure that you're mentoring other young women. Make Mm -hmm. sure that you're, you know, fighting for their equal salaries and stuff, that you yourself as a woman are walking the talk. I mean, sadly, and I really hate to say this, but we've all experienced there is a group of women who've made it, and rather than putting their hand out to the woman behind them on the ladder behind them, they're putting their stiletto heel out and making sure they don't come up after them Mm -hmm. because they have this... Feeling like, well, I made it, God forbid, you know, uh, anyone should get in my way. Well, that's just not going to work, yeah. right? If we truly want to succeed, our hands should be down pulling the next one up all the time behind us, all the time, because
1: we'll get what we want when we're in numbers. And there's so much support needed in the world. Let's focus on, you know, what can we all do together because work is there. There's enough work available for all of us. Plenty
2: of work. Yeah. There's plenty of opportunities. This, this is, I truly, in my heart of hearts, I really believe that women have never had a better time ever than right this moment. Right this moment. If we will just get out of our heads and go ask ourselves what could I do to make a difference? And the funny thing is, you know, it honestly can be the smallest thing. It can be that you say you will mentor a small group of high school girls. I started one of the programs of my nonprofit was called The Collective Eye. Because I believed when I wanted to teach these, these young women, it was high school girls, was that it's not just about the eye, but the power of the collective eye. You can stand in your own, you and be who you are, but still be part of a collective team coming together for a greater good. And so what these girls would do was they would go out and they would research social entrepreneurs and they would write all about them and they learned about, they learned so much. It was like an MBA for 16 year olds, they learned so much. And then they would write these articles and I would put them in a newsletter and I would send them out to four or 5,000 people so that they could show that they were published authors when they went for their college applications. All those girls are now out of college, that first batch are out of college, and they still stay in touch with me. One of them's out of MIT, one of them's out of, and they are really trying to do amazing things because from a very early age, we showed them opportunities to make a difference in the world. There's not a woman out there that can't do that right now with a group of teenagers or college girls, right? Each of us can begin. To have small groups, like the eight women that I said, come into my house. I don't know what I can do for you, but I'm willing to sit here and help you figure out what is going to change your life in the world. And honestly, and then it went on to become a book and other classes. Sometimes we just don't know, but we have to take a step. We have to move forward. And we're just kind of blindly taking a step, only looking at that moment. But it always comes back, always comes back in droves if we'll just take the step
1: that is the most beautiful final message that you could have given and shared with the audience thank you so so much linda it's been an well, absolute pleasure you to have inviting you. me onto your show i appreciate it it's been brilliant and you know one of the key messages i want to re-emphasize with the audience is do enjoy your linda moments you know, and make sure they happen and you really, really see those opportunities and say yes to them. As Linda just said, you can take small steps to make a wider impact on the world, to make a real, real difference to whatever you want to make a difference to. So do grasp those opportunities and go for it. Well, and one more thing, if anyone is lost on
2: this, just go to my website. It's lindalattimore.com, and there's a contact on there send me an email and ask me if you're stuck. I'm, I am more than happy to, to answer a question or see if there's a direction I can point you
1: in. You're most welcome to do that. And thank you for taking the initiative to share your contact details already. Where else can people find you? The
2: lyndalattimore.com website has got the training center with the programs on there. It's really got any information about me and what I'm doing on there. You know? And I have a newsletter that goes out to a few thousand people every, every couple of weeks where I put the podcast that I'm on and stuff like that. But like I say, my primary focus right now is, is helping people find what they want to do. So they can either write me at lyndalattimore.com Linda, or just go to the website. But I'm so sincere when I say, if you don't know where to go, but you want to help, Reach out
1: to me. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. let me highlight it again. She means it. So do that. Linda is a beautiful soul sitting here with me, taking the time to talk to all of you. Use this Mm -hmm. opportunity. Here it is. Right? Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, for learning with us. We are very curious about your thoughts. What did you think about this episode? What would you like to know more about? What are other topics that you would like to hear from me? Maybe you want to hear more from Linda or from someone else. Leave your feedback with us and do let us know what you think about the show. So tune into iTunes, leave your review. That would be so, so helpful, but also get in touch with us. We are absolutely here for you. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a fantastic week and a big thank you again to Linda. Goodbye, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to the Legendary Leaders Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show, either on iTunes, Spotify, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com, so that you can hear more about our next episodes. I would also love to hear from you. To discover what topics you'd like to listen to on this podcast, please head over to kathleenmerkle.com forward slash podcast and let me know. You can also find me on Facebook in the Legendary Leaders Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to connecting with you again on our next episode of the Legendary Leaders podcast. Take care. Bye.